0: Hello, More Than Workers. Thanks for joining us again this week. Uh, The people Centric team has been incredibly busy in all of the right ways. We are seeing a ton of clients. We are visiting them on site again. So we're traveling all over the country and um, conferences are back. So we are doing a lot of speaking gigs and keynotes and we are loving it. But it has been a little difficult getting the team together to record a podcast for you all. So this week, I decided that I would just repurpose an interview that Don did recently and share it with all of you guys. So Don did an interview with um, Bonnie Bell on the Ozarks radio station. Um, I'm going to make sure that I get the call sign right. KWTO 93.3 KWTO in Springfield, Missouri. Our company is headquartered in Springfield, Missouri, and so Don did a segment with Bonnie Bell on her show called Watching the Ozarks, and I'm just going to reshare that with you here. He talks a lot about how people-centric was started, our philosophy, and the things that we are doing. They get into the current labor force, and they talk a lot about engagement, and so I thought it would be fun for you guys to hear our fearless leader speak about the company. Um... Let me know how you like it. Feel free to reach out to us anytime. Again, you can reach us at morethanwork@peopleccg.com via email, or you can find us on any of the social media. Our handles are at PeopleCentric or at PeopleCCG. So let me know what you think of the interview. We love hearing from you guys, and we will be back with another podcast next week. Thanks so much for listening.
1: This is the More Than Work podcast, where we talk all about how to gain more satisfaction in your job. It's possible to enjoy your life and your work, because business is personal. And now, today's story.
2: This is Watching the Ozarks with Bonnie Bell.
3: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Watching the Ozarks. Joining me today, Don Harkey, who is CEO of People-Centric Consulting. And welcome, Don.
4: Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it.
3: Sure. We always have a good time. We like to talk business, right?
4: We like to talk business and weather and history. We and basically
3: just like to talk. We just like
4: to chat, I think, is the way we roll.
3: Right. And this is a good place. It's a little chilly outside. So this is a good place to be on a chilly it, it's afternoon.
4: It's warm in here. We've got the bourbon all poured. We're just enjoying ourselves, oh, yeah. right? Yeah,
3: yeah. You really want to be with us.
4: This is a good place to be.
3: So people-centric. How did an engineer get into the people business.
4: Yeah, you don't hear that a lot, right? Engineers and people, you don't think, I need a people person, bring an engineer in Bring an engineer
3: in, right. That's what we're
4: gonna do next. So I I started in my engineering career, I spent the first 10 years uh, working for a couple large companies, Archer Daniels Midland and then 3M. And what I saw were teams being successful in some places and not in others. And I got really interested in what causes that. Uh, You know, engineers take science and apply it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The science of how people work has been known for a long time but it hasn't been very well applied. So started to think about how can we engineer this science and apply it to add to organizations to help them to work better.
3: And I mean, because for years there have always been, I don't know, HR people in businesses and trainers, right? You've heard a bit, so why has it not been applied?
4: Yeah, so it's interesting. So like you mentioned trainers specifically, like training has a place in business, but training doesn't earn engagement. You can't train engagement. I can't go to your employees and say, you know what? You should love your job. You know what? We should get everything that you have to offer for this company. You know, companies have tried to do that. They try to rally culture into place. And we know from science that that doesn't work. You can't rally a culture into place. Culture is a set of habits. Uh, Every company, every organization has a culture, whether you deliberately created one or not. It's the habits. It's the rituals. It's the things that people just do. Uh, and the way you change the culture is you change the habits, and you change the habits through systems. Uh, it's not through training. It's not through rallying the troops. Uh, those things. Now, I'm not saying those things don't have value. So my friends who are in HR and in training out there, don't give me a call later and say, "Wait, what we're do we're mean? doing the best we can over here." You are. How can
3: you say that? And
4: you're very beneficial to what you do. But right. there's more to it than that. Uh, it requires some different things. It requires systems that help to support a strong culture.
3: So. When you first decided that this is what you were going to do, and you, you, where did you come up, by the way, with people centric?
4: People centric. So there was originally I had a, we had a different name, and it was called Galt Consulting, um, and Galt was from John Galt from the book Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, um, and it was the it was a book that had a big impact on me in college. Okay, um, and some people go back and then do research on Ayn Rand and say, oh, Don must believe everything that Ayn Rand believes. I don't, um, but. <laughs> The book itself struck me as being able to be a creator in the world and impact Mm -hmm. the world. Um, And then uh, I had a partner for a while and we worked together and it was actually, he was describing this to a coach of his, of what we were trying to do in terms of this movement. And the, the, his coach said, well, that sounds very people centric. Uh, And so that, that's, uh, he said, that sounds great. And so he allowed us to use that name and we've trademarked it and everything else, but it's really about being about the people. Uh, we're not trying to take a set of systems and force it on people to uh, to and say that's what made you successful. Uh, we talk about how we can make people themselves successful. I think everybody, we talk about this word empowerment. You've heard the mm, word empowerment. But I
3: think everyone's, oh, what, every 30 seconds nowadays.
4: It, it's, it's one of the buzzwords, right? It really is. And unfortunately, it's used a lot. If you look up the definition of empowerment in, in on Google, you can Google it now and say definition of empowerment. The first definition says something like the act of allowing other people to giving them power. So like if I'm a manager, I give you power to be able to do the things. That's how empowerment's often used. Like I need to empower my people. Uh, the second definition of it, though, is something, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's the an individual's act towards finding their own potential.
3: There you go. That one I go for.
4: That one sounds a lot better, doesn't it? Right, yeah. That's how what the science tells us. It's not your boss that empowers right. you. It's you that empowers you. I was so, going to
3: say, somebody can give you power, but if you don't know how to use it, you don't know what to do with it, then it's really not power. It's just useless.
4: That That's right. Or a lot of times employees, when they're not given the chance to feel empowered in their job, they find other ways to use their power, which is how you get toxic employees. Uh, They will start to rally the troops against the company. They will fight back against the culture and try to lead a revolution inside the company.
3: Are you, um, in any company, is the group of employers either one or the other?
4: Are they all toxic or all? Yes. uh, Empowered. All empowered or engaged? So there's three different types of employees that you can look at. They fall into three different categories. There's engaged employees. Uh, Let me introduce the engaged employee. Hi, I'm the engaged employee. I'm all in. I love this place. Somebody new starts here. I'm going to help them. I'm going to support them. I'm going to love on them. Uh, I love working here. That's they're the puppies, engaged employees. They're, right? the, they're yes. the ones that, but they're more than the puppies. They're like the sled dogs, right? Oh,
3: okay, gotcha. They're the ones they're out leading. in front. Like okay. they're leading
4: it, right? They're they're, they're, the they're pack. totally invested. They're leading the pack. They're the energy. They're the ones that get you. Okay. Uh, if you're an employer, you're sitting there thinking about your engaged employees, and they're hyper important. They do. They're the most productive. Right. They're the most valuable. They do all the things that are are really, really, right. really important. In the U.S., that's about one out of three employees. Okay. Uh, the second type of employee is a disengaged employee. Uh, disengaged is I go to my job, I do it, and then I go home. I'm mm-hmm. not really invested in it. Um, if you ask me my opinion, I may give it to you, but otherwise, it's really not my place. Somebody new starts in the job, I just kind of let, it's not my job to greet them or say hi to them. I show up, I do my job, I go home. Right. Uh, you might, I might be good at it, right. but you're not really getting my heart and soul. Okay. Uh, they tend to be less productive than engaged employees, but they're still valuable. You still need them. They do do work. Uh, But that's about 51% of Mm -hmm. employees right now in the U.S. Uh, Then there's the third type of employee. I'm the toxic employee. Uh, I'm misaligned with the organization. I hate you. I hate the place. I could run it so much better. Or there's the disguised toxic employee who says, I love this place, and that's why I can't believe these managers run this and make the decisions that they make. Because if I was running it, I care about it more than anybody else does in this crazy place, and I would make the right decisions. That's about 16 17% of the population. So very seldom have we, I don't think we've ever gone into an organization and you see them all in any of those categories. You usually do see a good mix, but you do see them congregate together. Uh, So you'll see sometimes a group of toxic people will be hanging out together. If an engaged employee works with one toxic employee on their team, just one, they are 50% more likely to quit that job. 50% more likely to quit that job. So toxic employees have a huge negative impact, and they have an even bigger impact if the toxic employee happens to be in a management position uh, because they might lead their employees the wrong direction. They might rally the troops against the company, and then you see uh, greater toxicity.
3: I'm surprised that a toxic employee is able to get... As far as management, you would think that they would pretty much talk themselves out of the job.
4: So it's interesting because I think that we think about it like that. But let me challenge you a little bit. Okay. If you think about toxicity, meaning just misalignment, right? I'm misaligned with the organization. Uh, Can you think of a time in your career where you've ever been misaligned with the organization and pushed against it? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, um, sure. I've sure i been toxic in my career. Yeah. I can think of times where I thought the company was making bad decisions mm-hmm. and I wanted to push back against it. I was a toxic employee. I might might have been right. In many of the cases I'm thinking about, I still think I was right. But that's the nature of being a toxic employee. Of course you think you're right. So all of us have been engaged, disengaged, and toxic at different times in our careers. And that's we're not born to be toxic. We're born to be engaged in our jobs.
3: Okay. So speaking of that, I've got an article here. And the headline says, U.S. employee engagement drops for first time in a decade. Yeah. First year in a decade, rather. Yeah. So is this, is this, because I think we have all come to the point that we blame COVID for everything. It's become the fallback. You know, yeah. you can't find a parking place. It's because of COVID. It's all those people out there waiting to go get a shot or something. I mean, seriously, you, right. we blame COVID for everything. Yep. So in this particular case, is this the fault of the kind of paradigm shift and everything that happened around COVID?
4: I think that what COVID did was it exposed weaknesses and strengths within companies. If you had a culture problem already, COVID put additional stress on that. So we talk a lot about healthy organizations. So if, if you're a healthy individual, it doesn't mean that you never get sick. Right? It doesn't mean that you're not exposed to things. It just means you're more resilient. You can bounce back from it. You can fight off illnesses quicker. Mm-hmm. Right, That's what that gives you. Same thing with organizations. Organizations that had a rough culture, that had some toxicity, some disengagement going into the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, are coming out of it with more mm-hmm. because they were stressed. Because management spent less time thinking about employees. Uh, organizations where mm-hmm. the culture was really strong,
3: right, uh,
4: they came out stronger. Out of the, the pandemic.
3: Out of all of this. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to think about it, though, it, percentage-wise, the ones that were toxic to start out with, did most of them not end up closing down? I mean, it was hard enough to get through COVID if you were strong and healthy and, and had everything going for you, much less if you're not.
4: Yeah, I I mean, so we're, we're in an interesting period right now is because we're coming out of COVID and COVID isn't the only driver right now. COVID's not really the major driver. We are entering into, uh, we've talked about this before, a sans-demic in addition to a That's pandemic because right. we needed another demic word. Yeah, I know right. we were, everybody wants another thing to worry about. Right, so. and,
3: and sans-demic sounds... Fascinating.
4: Sansdemic. Yeah. So yes. pandemic, pan meaning everything, everyone's involved, all people, pandemic, it impacts everybody. Sansdemic means not no people. And no people, what they're referring to is the demographic shift in the labor market uh, 20 years ago, it takes 20 years to make a worker. I'm not going to have to explain that. That'll be a different show, but it takes 20 years to make a worker. Roughly. Those of you have teenagers at home. Some of you are thinking it takes a little longer than that, (laughs) Uh, but it takes about 20 years to make a worker. And 20 years ago, we didn't make enough workers. So we're going to have a shortage in the workforce for the next decade. Uh, that's been a trend that's been coming for a long time. We've known about this for quite some time now. Uh, It's not getting, it hasn't been reported a lot, but it's been out there for a long time. So there's literally not enough workers in the workplace. So what happens is that companies who are doing a good job of being great employers, who have a strong culture, who inspire engagement amongst their people are going to be successful. And they're pulling talent away from people who aren't. And there's not enough workers for the people who are not managing their people well uh, to fill those jobs. And you're going to start seeing, you're already seeing some of it. You'll go to restaurants occasionally and see them being closed when they're not supposed to be closed because they can't put enough people into it. You see industries shut down. You see supply chain interruptions in some cases because they can't get labor. Uh, a lot of times it's because they're not very good employers.
3: I know that, um, uh, nationwide, uh, trucking companies for exa- for example, are, are just literally managers pulling their hair out, trying to find mm-hmm. employees and, uh, You know, it's like if you're breathing and you walk across my front door, I'll hire you, which is not necessarily a good way to get an employee.
4: Yeah, that's scary. As somebody who drives down the interstate quite a bit traveling, that's a little scary thinking about that when you're driving between three trucks, you know, uh, that are driving out there. But if I had a room, if I was speaking at a trucking conference, um, which I've done but haven't done in a while, and I asked a whole bunch of owners of trucking companies, are you having trouble finding people? I would get a room full of people saying, oh, my gosh, yes, yes, yes. But then I would say, how many of you aren't? And some would raise their hand. Uh, it's The industry as a whole is struggling with that, but not every individual company is struggling with that.
3: Okay, when we come back, we're going to dig down into that and find out why. So you stay with us. We'll have more Watching the Ozarks right after this.
1: Have you been thinking about starting a podcast but aren't sure where to start? I have to tell you about Anchor. It's a free creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Not only that, but with literally one click, they distribute your podcast to platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more so you can reach more listeners. They make it so easy. It was a no-brainer for us. Try it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
2: This is Watching the Ozarks with Bonnie Bell.
3: Welcome back to Watching the Ozarks. I'm Bonnie Bell. Don Harkeys joining me today, and we're talking about business, kind of the state of business. We're going to dig a little bit into uh, employees and employers. But first, we left the last segment talking about a trucking company. And, you know, you, you have a room full of, of uh, heads of trucking companies, and there are only a handful there who are able to get employees. What's the difference?
4: Yeah, they're better employers. I mean to put it to put it simply. I'll, I'll shift gears a little bit from the trucking industry and like we work a lot in healthcare. Okay. Uh, there are is a terrible shortage of healthcare workers yes. in this country. Everyone's heard that. Uh, and it was not made better by the pandemic because a lot of them got stressed I was, out. I was like,
3: it was bad before the pandemic. Now it's just worse.
4: Yes, it was worse. Now the other trend, now this is a place where the pandemic and the Sandsdemic collided and created a bigger problem because it created a lot of burnout. Uh, and, and so a lot, a lot of healthcare places are struggling, but, Uh, We work with a hospital, for example, that their strategic plan right now states that they're in the middle of a talent grab. And where are they going to find talent? They're going to the other hospitals. Now, why can they go to the other hospitals and target them and steal their employees? Because they are a better place to work. They're not paying more than those hospitals are. In fact, in some cases, they're paying less than what those hospitals are. But they are known as being a great place to work they train their managers, they give employees opportunities to improve process. Uh, you come in with ownership, there's, it just feels like it's a better place to work. And the employees hear that and they get to know that. And so they're attracted to that. So this hospital, I know they've hired 60 something employees in the last like three months, something like that, uh, very successfully.
3: And what did you do or what do you do? How do you make take a, an organization as large as a hospital? This is huge. They usually employ hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. Yeah, they can. So, yeah. so I mean, how do you do that and, so, and train so that that kind of goes down?
4: Yeah, so it's great. So, you know, we talked about the systems, right? So the engineer is still inside here, even okay. though I've got this – very nice persona and charismatic and all that kind of stuff But that he's I have. still
3: lying there.
4: But I'm, he's still inside yeah. here. He still likes a good spreadsheet from okay. time to time in okay. the system side. So I'll get a little bit technical with this. Uh, what we've done is taken the science and saying, how do we engineer this? And the way you engineer this is really through five sets of systems that companies can implement to help to transform a culture. Uh, and when I say transform a culture, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get empowered and aligned employees. That's what we're trying to get is the employees feel individually empowered, but also aligned together as a team and towards the success of the company. Uh, the first set of systems are what we call the people systems. It's getting the right people in the right places. So it's how you hire people. It's how you onboard people. It's how you design the organization in the first place. There's a hospital that we work with that had a supervisor that had 60 something direct reports across three shifts in multiple locations. Uh, the culture inside that team was a place where poor performers could go hide Uh, High performers were not recognized. Uh, Nobody could show how you cared for each other because the supervisor couldn't manage 64 people across that many people. That's designed to fail. Uh, So we helped them design that. They put some leads in different places so that we had smaller teams that broke Mm -hmm. up. We helped us to train the leads on how to supervise people. That improved the culture dramatically inside. So that's people systems is one. Second thing is communication systems. Uh, How do people meet? Uh, If I asked you, do you like meetings? A lot of people would say, no, I don't like meetings. And my response to that would be, then you're doing them wrong. Um, Because meetings and communication should be exciting. It should be collaborative. It should be smart people coming to the table to solve problems. Mm -hmm. So how do we break down silos across organizations? It's meeting cadences. It's how how do we communicate? How do we share? What communication tools do we use? Those types of things need to be in place to really improve a culture. The third set of systems is management. Uh, This is one of the ones that has the biggest impact. Uh, Gallup says that 70% of disengagement is caused by bad management. Uh, And what happens when I say bad management? I don't mean evil managers who hate their employees. I'm talking about what the typical management experience is, is you used to be good at the job that you have. And one day somebody said, because you're good at that job, I'm going to tap you on the shoulder. And now you're going to run this team that you used to be friends with. Right. And you're going to hold them accountable to the work, but I'm not going to tell you how to do that. I trained you the for the first job, but I'm not going to train you for
3: the second. I'm, I'm not going to train you for the second job. Guessing you're going to be that good.
4: That's exactly right. So we help companies to install systems to support their managers. That starts with training. It uh, starts with encouraging managers how to have conversations with employees, not just about their performance, but just to care about them as humans.
3: Don't you have to? Do you have to train them how to train? Because I mean, I don't know that most people would know how to train a manager. Yeah. It's, it's, how, how does you know? It's like they're good at their job. So they're just going to take that a step further and they're going to train other people to be good at that same job.
4: That's exactly right. Yeah. They'll, yeah. They can't, they'll can't. they teach them what they learned or don't know. Right. Uh, so one of the nice things about our job is that we've worked within enough different companies that we can see the same mistakes that managers tend to make across the board. So we'll help companies put together and say, okay, here's the things that you really, the basic skill sets, the tools that you need to be a successful manager. Okay. So then the fourth set of system are process systems. Uh, if you work in a job and you see a way to improve a process, but you can't improve the process, you're going to get disengaged really fast and possibly mm-hmm. even toxic. So we try to give employees a way to, when you see something to improve, how can I improve it? That's kind of the engineer inside me. Like we can use continuous improvement, not just to make the improvement, but also to shift the culture of the organization.
3: Which tells me not only do you have to have a buy-in from the employees, but you have to have a buy-in from the C-suite,
4: yeah, you have to have some trust, right? Too many times, management thinks that their job is to go to the employees, find out what the problems are, so they can fix it. So managers can fix it. I'm mm-hmm. going to collect a punch list. We work with an organization, and we took we did a, uh, a a workshop with their employees, and we said, "What ideas do you have to improve things around here?" And they came up with like, it was like 70-something things. I mean, it was this massive list. And afterwards, we sat down with the owner of the company, and he sat down and kind of leaned back in his chair, and he goes, now I have to go do these 70-something things. And we said, no, you don't. You're going to let them do it. We're going to put them into a situation. So there's there's techniques, there's processes that you can put into place that help your employees to engage those processes.
3: How do you deal with the hurt feelings and egos of management? And uh, because... I have to think that if, if an owner is faced with 70 different suggestions to change things that he had put in place, the first thing that's going to happen is that his ego is going to be a little dinged.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we do a lot of coaching and talking through that and trying to understand like, what does that look like? We try to also show the perspective that that's really good news. Um, if we analyzed your company and came together and you weren't happy with the results of your company and we said, yeah, everything's great, though, then you've, you've peaked You've peaked at where you are, and you're never going to get better. Uh, if you look at those as really good opportunities, not just to improve the organization, but also to get your people involved, put them into situations where they can improve processes, lead teams before you promote them into management positions, learn who your next managers are going to be, develop talent, and watch them succeed, uh, that's actually, sometimes, that's I think that's the hidden joy of running a company. Really. See, that would
3: be the fun part.
4: It should be. Yeah. We get stuck I in think. like the, the output of the company, which is important to watch for. I'm sure. not saying don't worry about the profit and stuff. Yeah. But ultimately, the real joy comes in watching your people succeed. Uh, and if you can work yourself out of a job, you know, as a leader of a company, that's that's the ultimate place to be and watch other people succeed and just help them.
3: But, you know, I'm always amazed and they're out there at the at company owners or the the high high placed managers who get bent out of shape when the employee decide, I mean, has been trained up, but then moves on to another, another, you know, corporation and outgrows. And those people get really upset.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I I heard somebody say like, treat your people like they're never going to leave and train them like they are or something like that. I, I just butchered that. I feel like I just butchered that. But the idea is that I think you should treat your people like you don't you don't ever expect them to leave. Because even if they do leave, like let's say you train up a great employee and they say you're a great culture and they do end up leaving you and they go to another company. That's not necessarily a failure. You have an evangelist now that's out there. They're going to tell other people about what it's like. And a lot of times they'll come back. Uh, you know, there's the grass is always greener thing. Uh, all True. of us do have a number and sometimes we can be fooled into thinking that our lives are worth changing for an extra, you know, two bucks an hour or, you sure. know, something. Uh, and we'll make those jumps. And I've seen so many people make those jumps and then rec- recognize what they had. So I always say, you know, treat people, even if they leave, like they're not going to leave or at least that they're going to come back at some point.
3: Well, and uh, there's a certain amount of uh, pride, pride. Look, we've had a lot of people come through this radio station. Yeah, you know, I always laughingly say we had Josh Holly here as an intern, for pity's sakes. But you know, there's a certain amount of pride that you can take in knowing that you helped a person find, you know, find themselves and reach a certain level of development and professionalism, so they could go on to the next step.
4: Yeah, the last employee who left PeopleCentric is out in Nashville area right now, and she wanted to get into healthcare. And, uh, we still talk regularly. Like I'm so proud of her that she left and because we were so proud of her and she knew that that was our culture, that we would support her wherever she wanted to go. Even if it wasn't inside of our team. She gave us like nine months notice that she was going to be leaving. Like, so we had lots of time to plan and think about that transition and we still talk frequently and she's a friend and that's, that's amazing. So, I mean, I, I think that's, that feels good, right? right? That's not a, that's not a rough thing to go through. The, the fifth set of systems, and this is the last set of systems. Sure is the strategy systems. So to really share that joy of a team, you have to be able to share what winning looks like. Too often, employees show up, they do their job, they go home, they don't see what's the bigger picture. They don't have line of sight to the success of the company. They don't know how what they do impacts things on a day-to-day basis. And that's what strategy systems can do. It starts with strategic planning, understanding where you're going, what's your vision, what's your mission as an organization, what are your values, uh, but then what are some of the tactics that we need to do to drive success? Uh, you know, we were on with Jack Stack uh, last month. Right. Uh, we got to, to be on on your show together And we talked a little bit about the great game of business and programs like that. That's a strategy system. It helps employees understand what they do that impacts the company and then how the company impacts them in turn so that they can offer that and feel the wins for all of that. If you're doing those things, the people systems, the communication, the management, the process, and the strategy systems, then you put those in place and you're going to see your culture start to transform.
3: Okay, so I'm going to ask, you know, does this work with every? Type of company? I mean, I'm thinking, I don't know, garbage collectors, uh, uh, custodians, Mm -hmm. whatever. Does this, I mean, even with the most entry level of entry level jobs.
4: Especially with those. Yeah. Really? Oh my goodness. I've seen some amazing stories. We work with a restaurant uh, one time and we were working with uh, high school kids, essentially, who were doing part time jobs. And we were talking about ways to improve a process inside the kitchen. Uh, and we were meeting with them and they were throwing some ideas out and, uh, one of them came back and over the weekend, uh, nobody asked her to do this, but over the weekend she drew up this whole new process for how to run the kitchen, uh, and, and brought it in over the weekend. She's like, Hey, I worked on this during my time off and brought this in. And it was this, it was a huge improvement that has made a major impact on this restaurant. And she was super excited about it. Uh, she went on, she became a manager in in that restaurant, Uh, you know, went to school, helped her pay for college, went to school, and she's gone off to another position now. But uh, when I've run into her a couple times, I mean, she looks back at that and said that really, really helped me. And she speaks very fondly of that restaurant. Um, Side note, if there's any HR people listening, they're like, you can't send somebody home and do all that work and not pay them for that. The restaurant did pay her and compensate her for the work that she did over the weekend. Uh, Just to just to throw that out there, because sometimes people get nervous about that story. Right. But yeah, I mean, if you're human, it only works in places where there's people. I'll say it that way, because we're all hardwired to work the the same way. It doesn't matter what position we're in. It doesn't matter what level of education we have. Uh, I have seen jobs where there's frontline work that is very difficult, that people absolutely own, and they do it great.
3: Okay, we're going to take a quick break here, folks. You stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: This is Watching the Ozarks with Bonnie Bell.
3: Welcome back, everybody. We continue on here with Watching the Ozarks. So, Don, tell me. I just want to know. Um, that young lady who came back to the restaurant with the plan to change, Mm -hmm. how surprised were you? I mean, how often do you like sit down and, and I mean, maybe you don't show it on your face, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, whoa, that's kind of amazing. I mean, here she is pretty much a young kid and look what happened.
4: I always think, wow, that's amazing. I'm not surprised ever anymore. From that standpoint. I, I see that work so many times. We're hardwired to be great. Like there's some of you who may be thinking about your job right now and thinking like, well, I don't love my job. Who loves their job? I'm here to tell you, like, you deserve a great job. You do. You deserve something that is going to challenge you. And maybe that the fact that it's not a great job, it might be because you have a bad employer or it might be because of the way you're approaching the job. I mean, it might be on you. So it's not always the employer. But I will say this, that we are hardwired to be amazing uh, at work. And I have just seen it over and over and over again. People come up with amazing ideas and amazing things. And it doesn't matter what level, what education level you have. uh, People just come up with it constantly. It's great. As a consultant, like a lot of times consultants are people who come in and say, here's what you're doing wrong and here's what you need to do differently. What's neat about what we do is we set the table where your own people can do that. And they can be successful so that when they share videos, the hospital that we work with that just recently shared a video, they uh, worked on a process on what it's called sepsis compliance. I won't get really technical with it, but it's, they, they were having trouble improving this metric for years. Administration was hitting them. Like, we got to improve this. We got to improve this. We created a team of frontline employees. They came up with a way of improving it and they've improved it dramatically. And they estimate that's probably saved two or three lives last year inside that hospital. Uh, and it was from frontline employees that came up with it. I know nothing about medical stuff. I was born in a hospital.
3: Right, but that's about it. Huh? Yeah,
4: that's about it. But they came up with it. All we have to do is create the place where they can be amazing. And that's that's what companies should be.
3: Okay, but we're going to run out of time before I actually get to the topic that I brought you in here to talk about. This is our problem. So whatever, <laughs> what I want to talk to you about is something that has now been, you know, when, you know in your history books when they kind of put labels on eras, right? So you remember the Industrial Revolution period and this, that, and the other. Well, in history, I guess this may go down as what they're calling the Great Resignation Period. Yeah. And um, I actually, the numbers are staggering. 41 million employees in a 10-month period between April and January of this year resigned.
4: Yeah, isn't that something?
3: 41 million.
4: 41 million. And right
3: now, as we speak, there are over 11 million jobs available mm-hmm. this week mm-hmm. in the United States.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: 11 million jobs. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't know that this has ever happened in the history of the United States.
4: Well, and it, it is interesting and it has, but it's been a long time. It's like over a hundred years, I think was the last time we had, it's called an inversion in the labor market where there's more jobs than there are people. Um, so that many people left their job, but unemployment's still low. So they found another job. They went someplace else. So
3: they left their job, but they went someplace
4: else. They went someplace else. So that's, that's the interesting part. It's not that people are just stopping working or leaving the workforce. Oh,
3: you gotta play the, yeah, you got to pay the mortgage. Somewhere. No, they're,
4: they're, they're getting offers. They're, it's, it's a very hot job market. So what's happened is before when there was tons and tons of labor, uh, employers could afford to be bad, and it didn't matter because you weren't going to find something better. Uh, now it's switched. It's kind of a buyer's market now for the employees. They can go out and they can pick and choose which employers they go to work for. And they're shopping around. They know it. They absolutely know that if there's opportunities for something better.
3: And it has not changed. I mean, this started last year. Mm-hmm. And it's still going. I mean, it's not changing at all.
4: It actually started before the pandemic. So it's not. It's Again, this is the part of a sans-demic trend, not a pandemic right. trend. Uh, in 2018 was the first year it started to go up. Uh, you started to see that that resignation start to happen uh, and it just keeps accelerating from it. But yeah, I think it's just people, I love it. Like I think it, I really do, I know it's painful. Some of you are like, listening to this going like, what do you mean you love, love it? it? You know, well, of course you're a consultant so you can go make some money off of it, I guess. But look, it's not that the way that we manage people has changed. I've heard some managers say that like, okay, this is creating a situation where now people today have to be coddled. Uh, bad management has always been bad management. Uh, it's just that before it didn't matter because you couldn't find something else. Now you can find something else, uh, and you can find something that does energize you. You have a better chance of finding something that does energize you or excite you as an employee. And so employees are starting to be a little bit more choosy about who they go work for. I I like to say it this way. I think that if you think of different generations in the workforce, Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, you think of, uh, the, uh, baby boomer generation, um, boomers were some of the most tolerant of bad management of any of the current generations in the workforce. They just said, you know, it's not my place to challenge my boss. I just kind of, I, I, you're in the position because right. you're in the position. I'll let you be in that position and you can treat me badly if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that they should have. And it doesn't mean that it engages you. It still disengages you or creates toxic employees. You just don't leave when when you're toxic. Uh, when the yeah, millennials- and
3: that watch at the end of your- what 40 years of employment or something. Yeah,
4: you see, yes, I'm heading towards the end, right? It's it's, yes. it's it's I'm trying to work towards that. And and we all know a lot of people that have done that. And so I'm sure. I'm, I'm cruising towards the pension. It's worth That's it. Right. Who loves their job. I'm about to I'm I'm living for retirement. Uh I get that. Uh but millennials kind of came into the world and said they became less tolerant. They started demanding different things and it was annoying. Uh, when they first came in and wanted to have their job right. in the C-suite right off the bat, because you right. don't know a lot when you first come into the job market. I'm sorry, but you don't uh, and, and didn't want to wait their turn. But at the same time, it did something good for the job market is this really challenged employers to say it's a competitive advantage for you to manage better now because you need to to get the people that you need. Uh, but it, that's a good thing, because not only is it competitive and not only are you going to get the labor, but your life's going to be happier if you manage better. And you treat your employees better and the employees do better and you make more money. How cool is it that the universe was created where the best business, you got me on my soapbox now, you can tell. That's fine. How cool is it that the universe was created in a way that whenever we're at work and the people know and love what their job is and the boss cares about them as a person, that the boss's life is better that the employee's life is better, and the company makes more money statistically.
3: Wow, it's a win-win-win.
4: It is a huge win-win-win.
3: Okay, so people-centric works mostly with companies, not with people. I mean, you work with the people in the company, but a person's not going to come to you and say, hey, help train me to get a better job. A company's right. going to come no, to you that's and, say, point. Yes. and say, help me figure out how to get more people come to me and yes. get hired, right? Yes. Okay, so you actually work with the company. Um, when, when you're with the company, how much are you interacting with the employees of that company? Or is it basically, basically just management? No,
4: I, I mean, a lot, we, we interact with the employees a lot. Um, and we we're very, I call it blue collar, uh, not that we work with the blue collar employees, but that's, that's our culture. And we say, let's, let's get into the trenches with the people who are doing the job as much as we can. Uh, now, in some cases, that's hard. If you're at a hospital, I can't sit and stand next to the nurse while they're putting the IV in. You mm-hmm. know, that's not appropriate for that. Uh, but we definitely want to try to get the voice of the employees. Um, at the same time, we do need to work with the management because they are the source of a lot of the disengagement and the structure and the systems and things like that that we put into place. So it's a it's really is a mixture of both.
3: So I have this picture in my mind on of you and your staff kind of surreptitiously walking through the hospital. Uh, corridors watching over to see what everything because you can't go stand by the bed but yeah. i mean you can watch from a distance is that how you do this
4: so we will pull people that's a great question i like that it sounds creepy the way you said it though I know like, the
3: whole surreptitiously thing, we just walk know?
4: through yeah we put on these black yeah. lab coats when we walk that's through right. so it's like it looks like we kind of belong there but it's a little bit differently right. you like, hide
3: in the shadows yeah
4: we just kind of jump out and say ha, i saw that what are you gonna do now <laughs> Uh, no, I, it's, it's, it's a lot of, we create spaces for those conversations to happen. So a lot of times we have to pull the employees offline, uh, so that they're, are having conversation, but a lot of times they are conversations. So it's not the consultant coming in and saying, here's what you're doing wrong in your job. It's us asking questions. It's a lot of facilitating. It's a lot of saying, tell us what do you do really well in your job? Tell us what's not going so well in your job. What do you think we could do to improve that? What if we did this, this, and this? Do you think that would be beneficial? Uh, those are areas that uh, I think people know or have at least an inkling of things that would make their job better on a day-to-day basis. So we just try to give them a place to be able to do that and then try to help management understand like it's okay to let them to do that. Uh, so that's, that's a lot of it. I was meeting with, I'll give you an example. We're working with a city. Uh, I won't say the city's name, but we're working with the police department in that city. And they're really trying to work on police officer retention. Uh, Yesterday, we led a meeting when we had some lieutenants from the police department, the police chief. We had a corporal. We had a couple officers. We had some of the non-sworn people. We had some people from their city council. uh, And we were sitting down talking about, okay, what do we do really well? What can we do better together? And they came up with some great ideas that are going to make life better inside that police department, which is going to consequently also make life better inside that community and is going to attract more police officers to that area. Uh, it's where do you have that conversation? Too many times we get busy working in the job. We work, you know, you've heard the idea of working on the job. Mm-hmm. You know, not or working in the job, not, not on the on job. The job right. right. That's that's the idea is we give space to be able to work on it. Let's take a take a breath, let's take a step back and see the thing that we do on a day-to-day basis. Is there a way for us to do it better?
3: So you trained the employer. How do, I mean, how does an, how does the employer figure out? Because let's face it, if you own the company, let's not, let's not take a, you know, public private, let's take a a privately owned company. This is your baby. You grew it from the little small seed that it was. And it is, you've put your whole life into it. And at what point do you have to sit that person down and say, I know you're really proud of this. But it's not working.
4: Yeah. And usually, I mean, so most of the companies we work with, it is working. It just could be working better. Okay. So just to nuance that. Like very few companies, if the company is just outright failing. They're not uh, going to be coming to you. They're probably not going to be coming to us. It's probably too late. Like if the plane is, is descending, rap, that's a dark acknowledge I'm writing, but if the Boy, plane
3: really, we've been, we've been on a kind of a dark mood. We, we today, have this, we? this segment's been a little dark, yes. but
4: yeah, if the, if the plane's heading down for the ground, it's hard to pull the stick back hard enough to be able to pull it up. Okay. Now we've done it in a few cases. We have done that where, where companies wanted to really transform quickly. Uh, there's, there's ways to do that. Um, but really it's like most of the time it's the companies that are like, they can't quite see, like they can't get to that next level okay. or they just feel like it's a little bit stuck or, okay. Uh like I was talking to a, a hospital today and you know, their problem is they're growing too so fast. Ah. um that's a good problem yes, to have. Yes, it is. They're adding services, they're serving their community better. They went from two hundred employees six years ago to almost seven hundred employees today. Um and big
3: growth spurt.
4: Huge growth spurt. And figuring out all the things that go with that and structuring that behind, right. they recognized they needed some support to be able to handle so that. So
3: basically you help growing pains.
4: We do help growing pains and maybe even capitalize on that growth a little bit because with growth comes opportunities for more people.
3: And with more people, you end up with more problems if you don't have the right processes in place.
4: Your systems really stick out. Yeah. If you have five employees, right, you can kind of, you know, if there's a problem, you just kind of know it, right? You just, I can feel that Carl's a little bit down today and I need to talk to Carl about their attitude and we can just, because you can see it, you're all working together. It makes a big impact. If it's 500 employees, does Carl even get noticed? Do you uh, even know Carl's name? Do you even know Carl's name? You know, does anybody talk to Carl on a regular basis? And that's why those systems are really important because those management systems gives a place to talk to Carl on a regular basis and help Carl.
3: So now I'm curious because you know, that's what I am always. Um, how exactly, you have all of these questions that you ask and of course I'm doing this and we have a minute left in this segment. So what I'm going to do is say that when we come back from this break, I'm going to start, I'm going to ask you a couple questions about how you came up with this. I'm sure it wasn't something in your sleep that you just woke up with and a light bulb went off. So everybody stay with us. We'll be back more watching the Ozarks with Don Harkey in just a minute.
2: This is watching the Ozarks with Bonnie Bell.
3: And welcome back everybody. Don Harkey joining us here in the studio today. And Don, you know, I've asked you, I think a number of times about, you know, kind of how you started people centric, but my other question would be this, because the systems that you have um in place sound like they have an awful lot of psychology, yes. behind them, yes. um I mean, you've got this whole you know questionnaire type of format that you that you work with. so how I mean, not taking away from your great education but an engineer and uh coming up with kind of the whole psychology of asking questions and what questions to ask doesn't seem to me that 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 would necessarily be uh, an automatic talent or ability that you would have
4: yeah that's that's very true so you know when an engineer has to design something they don't invent the physics that or the chemistry or the mechanics that go into the thing that they invent. They have to leverage other people's, they have to stand on the shoulders of the giants, right, who create that. Uh, I think we've done that. I mean, I think we've, we've really reached out and we've had some great partners that we've worked with. Uh, you know, we've, we've sat down with professors at universities and talked to people. We've got advisors that work with us on a regular basis that we talk to. Uh, we're always, we're voracious readers. We're always looking at what systems are out there, what works, what doesn't work. Um, so what we've created is not the end all be all, but more of the framework of how to apply it for a company Mm -hmm. so that when something new comes along, it fits into the framework. It doesn't matter. It's, it's not whether it's an, you know, EOS traction system versus a great game of business system or those types of things. All those are really good systems that help companies, but they're all part of the answer. Uh, and so we can add it to our framework. We can learn from the people that we interact with. Um, and then our team is very innovative about how to approach that. We just have to figure out how to engineer the science that comes along.
3: So what do you mean your team is very innovative?
4: So we meet on a regular basis and we talk about the clients that we have. And we're always thinking about, okay, that we're seeing this problem with this client. Is there a way that we could have addressed that quicker? Um, Is there something that we could do to help them faster? Uh, And then we're always innovating and saying, okay, let's adjust our systems and how we have conversations with the client how we drive a client because we look for long-term relationships with our clients. Uh, most of our clients are on a retainer, so that we work with them for years. Uh, how can we make sure that on our journey, we're adding the right systems for them to make the best impact on their business? Uh,
3: so you have, I mean, this is not a short-term, we're going to go in, fix you, and, and you're fixed now. Right. Go along your merry, your merry way.
4: Yeah, so a lot of the companies, the reason that we can work with them for a long time is because they're growing and they're constantly developing and they're evolving. So the thing that we may install early, we need to continue to work through and support. Uh, and because it's a framework, our team does a very wide variety of things for clients. So we're coaching, we're training, we're doing leadership development, we're doing some you know hiring processes, onboarding. Uh, there's a lot of things that our team can cover for a company. Uh, you, know, you hire an accountant to help make sure your books are in order right. and stay in order. Why would you not hire somebody that helps you make sure your people are in good oh. shape?
3: Okay. So I, I understand now. I think so. You, you don't have a, I mean, I looked on your website, right? Your team is fairly small and compact.
4: There's five of us. Yes. Yes.
3: So, um, I mean, how exactly do you manage to pull this off?
4: Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, we're leveraged a lot of technology, uh, but I mean, I, you know, Zoom, we right? a lot of Zoom calls for Zoom. Uh, we talked about, you know, what I think we were offline. Yes, we we talked, were. I said today, I think I've met with clients in four different States, uh, it's pretty cool. And sat in my house the whole time because we're having a snow day.
3: And how did we do that before Zoom?
4: Yeah. Well, and we did. And uh, you know, one of the good things about the pandemic, which is great to have now on the radio for everybody to hear that people-centric thought the pandemic was good. But one of the good things <laughs> about the pandemic is that that leverage of technology is that it's so prevalent right. now. Everybody uh, embrace that.
3: And nobody thinks about it. Nobody and thinks twice about it. Nobody thinks twice about it. As a matter it. of fact, there are some of us that would rather Zoom a meeting now than do it because, quite frankly... You can control it better.
4: So I love going out and visiting client locations. I like right. being out on site and everything, but it's not very efficient. So right. when we go out, we do a lot of work. We eat well. We eat at good restaurants and things like that. Uh, you know, we enjoy the places that we sure. go. We don't charge the client for that in case if anybody's listening. We, we do that ourselves. But uh, it it's it, we do as a team have to work really closely together to manage that with a client. And then when a client works with us, typically we'll see combinations of all of us so all of us get different specialties and pick okay. up different areas uh, so that's that's another part of our team that allows us to work with with the number of clients that we do
3: so when you put your team together you specifically looked for people that had different I mean maybe somebody's good in marketing somebody's good with community somebody's good with whatever so that's what you were that's what, how you did that
4: yeah and they all have the one the one trait that they all have in common what they're all engaging okay we call them engagement specialists because that's the number one thing is if I'm going to go meet with a group of, you know, a group of frontline manufacturing workers or right. a group of physicians or a group of bank executives, uh, at the end of the day, it's not what you know, it's do, can you engage them to work with you to really be vulnerable and examine what they are. So, I mean, that's, if you want the secret sauce, that's it, is we have to hire, we have to hire very engaging people
3: that they can in turn engage others. That's
4: right. Yeah. Now they have a tremendous expertise. I mean, we do have people who have been, you know, world-class trainers for large corporations. We've got two MBAs. We've got, you know, global HR director. We've got, you know, an engineer. Right. We've got, you know, we've got, we've got some, some, a lot of talent on our team and experience that comes with that. But really the secret at the end of the day is it's that they're all very, very engaging and their people like to talk to them.
3: So, um, what I find interesting was when you were talking about that, you were talking about all these different companies that you were working with and none of them had anything to do with the with the other. I mean, it was like, you know, trucking and hospitals and this yeah. and, and, and that. So what you're telling me is um, the process itself can be used across any type of organization.
4: It, it absolutely can. And there's certain niche industries you get into where you can learn some industry stuff. But yeah, at the end of the day, if you have people, this stuff works. If you need, if you're a bank and you need help running a bank and you don't know how to run a bank, like don't call us. We're not the ones to help you run a bank. Uh, You have a different problem. Uh, than that if you're a hospital and you don't know how to take care of patients like there's there's consultants that will come in and help you with that kind of thing
3: don't call you don't
4: call us for that you should know how to run a hospital from that standpoint but you don't because we don't know how to run again i was born in one so i feel like i've got some but uh some knowledge of that but that's that's about it now we've picked up a lot about you know hospitals and publishing and some of the industry niches that we've gotten into okay but at the end of the day it really is about how do people work together how do you empower and align teams of people
3: Do you also train them on what type of employee they want to hire in the first place?
4: That's an an interesting... We could almost do a whole episode just on that. Uh, Yeah, we do a lot on talking about how do you look, what kind of profiles are you looking at for people, Uh, how do you diversify your team, Uh, which is really important uh, in terms of thought and background and everything that goes along with that, Um, make sure your process... accents that, what's really important. How can you break down what's really important, what's not important?
3: You know, they used to give out those personality tests, you know, and if you mm-hmm. passed, if you, you know, whatever you were supposed to be, an introvert, extrovert. Right. Do you believe in that stuff? Does that work?
4: So my answer to that is yes, uh, they do work, but they're, it's a tool. So it's not, I don't like the pass, no pass. Um, I, I think if you, if you gave out a personality test and there was a pass and you hired everybody who was the same, you're not going to have a very good team. Uh, but I do like the idea of using the personality test to understand what the natural strengths are for the, the person that's coming in and then using that in the interview process to have conversations with them about how they're going to leverage those strengths and how they work and how self-aware are they of their own strengths to see how effective they're going to be. Yeah. I, I think it's a powerful tool. tool. Do you,
3: you have a favorite test?
4: We've got one we use called hiring suite. Uh, that's very practical for the hiring side. Uh, that's easy to give to employees before they come in, uh, in the hiring process. Uh, it gives scores across different dimensions and once they're on your team, it even talks about how they interact with other people on your team before they get on your team. So you can kind of see how that's going to work and what the dynamics are going to be. Uh, but really anything you use strengths finder is a different thing that they don't even talk about using that for hiring process. Gallup doesn't even recommend that, but it's just understanding the people that you have coming in, uh, to kind of take a strengths inventory or personality inventory. Uh, yeah, I I think all those tools are good.
3: Does, uh, and, uh, Organization need all different types of personalities to make it run.
4: Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, if we can't you, have
3: all extroverts,
4: no, you can't have all extroverts because then, I mean, everyone's going to yeah Talk for each other. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of like on our team. You know, Diana on our team is our COO, and she is very much like the executor. She's like, I'm going to think about the things that need to be done. I'm the whiteboard user, dreamer. Like, here's mm-hmm. the ideas. Uh, we might drive each other crazy at times because I will call, I'll call her. I called her literally on the way here and said, here's the n- new idea on something I saw for a client for a call we had earlier. But we have developed language because we've worked together so long. It's like, can I ideate with you for a second? Mm-hmm. And then I'll give that to her and she'll say, okay, now can I ask you a bunch of questions? And then at the end it's, okay, now where are we taking this? So I can take the ideas. She can start to work and go dig into that. Right. Uh, you need all those different people on a team. That's, yeah, to people who are similar, tend to get along with each other really well, but that doesn't make a very strong team.
3: So the manager then has to know how to manage all these different types of people.
4: Yeah. There's a saying that great managers play chess, not checkers. Ooh. Checkers, all the pieces do the same thing. In chess, all the pieces do different things and have different purposes. Great managers know what the pieces on their board can do, and they play the game according to what their pieces' strengths are.
3: So if you were going to train a manager to be able to do that, how would you do that?
4: Well, first you have to understand how do you understand what the strengths of your people are going to be, and then you also have to understand how do you engage that person to be able to use those strengths, uh, which is which is tough. And then how do you hold them accountable to that? Uh, so there's there's lots of things that we have to train managers to do, lots of skill sets.
3: So as we as colleges and universities turn out these fresh face MBAs students, um, is this something that should be? taught and, and as a management course on how I mean are we missing out on this
4: I'm going to get in trouble here a little bit but I haven't seen anyone come out of college or an MBA program with that knowledge I just haven't seen it uh, and I think the members on our team who have MBAs would agree that they weren't taught that they didn't see it Uh, And in fact, many of them in their classes and things when they were Diana was going through it when she was uh, at people centric working on her MBA. She said a lot of times like they were coming to her because she had we've got so much field training in that of like, well, how would you develop this? What would that look like? Um, So there's we don't really even have a common definition of leadership in academia. Uh, People tend to think of leadership as good. We tend to just think of it as influence. So you can be a good leader. You can be a bad leader. Uh, And not bad meaning ineffective, but I could lead you the wrong direction. Uh, Sometimes people will say, hey, come teach all of our people to be more influential. And it's like, do you want us to teach your toxic managers how to be more influential? We want to be careful about that. Yes. Uh, So there's, there's just a lot of concepts that are out there. Like the science is really good. The engineering is in its infancy. Like it's just not, it's just not there. So that's I think we're on the cutting edge of a lot of that stuff frankly. I'm not trying you learn a lot in the schools. I'm not trying to say the colleges mm-hmm. don't teach really good things. There's a lot of good concepts, but they teach the science not the engineering.
3: Do you ever get invited to talk to business classes? Sure,
4: absolutely. Yeah. And
3: are they are, are they are they avid listeners? Do they understand what you're trying to say? Do you think it sinks in?
4: Yeah, I think it does. Um, You know, it's not really their role to try to teach all that stuff. It's hard to learn all of that. Um, So, but yeah, I mean, we get invited back uh, and the students love it. I mean, they pick up a lot. Uh, We share a lot of different perspectives.
3: And I'm glad you don't mind being invited back because we're out of time. So, you know, anything else that I was going to ask you will have to, this happens to us all the time.
4: Yeah, we run out of time, don't we? We yes. don't make enough time.
3: Yeah, we really do. We'll yeah. have to, you know, the show should be two hours. Do you have
4: a telephone no. coming up or something like that? Yeah, well, you could we do, can do You can on? sit here and
3: do it. Yeah, you can stay here for with, <laughs> all day fun. long. Uh, Don Harkey, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you, Bonnie, for having me. Really I appreciate, appreciate
3: it. it. Thanks, everybody out there. And don't forget, keep watching The Ozarks.
2: This has been Watching the Ozarks with Bonnie Bell. If you have topics or story ideas, please contact Bonnie at bbell at radiospringfield.com. This has been a presentation of KWTO News, another free community service of Zimmer Communications.
1: Thanks for listening today. The More Than Work podcast is produced by People Centric Consulting Group, a consulting firm that believes people should be put at the center of every organization. If you have a topic you want our team of experts to address, feel free to contact us at morethanworkpodcast at peopleccg.com. You can also learn more about us by visiting our website at www.peoplecentric.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back next week to give you practical advice that you can use to improve your work. In the meantime, lead well.